Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. Okay, so today we are talking about... Hurricane modeling. Ripped yes. from the headlines. <laughs> both both topical and tropical. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, we'll get into it. You're listening to Linear Digressions. So we are recording this a few days after Hurricane Irma kind of Sep- just chewed up Florida. September, sir, September 13th. Right. And I think we'll try to expedite this, get this to the front of the, the, front of the queue so that we get mm-hmm. it out uh, within the next few days. So it's still kind of top of mind. Um, and this but, is this is one of those topics that is uh, it's it's both fascinating but also sensitive. Just because it's kind of like our, the episode that we did on cancer, where it's like the 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 stuff behind it uh, that we're going to be talking about is really fascinating, but also it affects people's lives in really you know god awful ways. Yeah, for sure. This stuff, um, you know, it really matters that when it goes right and when it goes wrong, and it's it's really hard, and that's to get hurricane forecast <laughs> predictions uh, perfectly right. And that's what we'll talk about today. Nonetheless, I think they're totally fascinating to read about how they actually do them. And so, and, and I think you appreciate them, or at least I appreciate them a lot more now that I've spent a few hours poking around at them. So I'd like to share some, drop some knowledge. Um. <laughs> um, <laughs> my understanding was, or at least I imagine back in the in the like 70s they would just have uh weathermen or meteorologists who just have watched a good number of these and just kind of intuit where they go yeah so there is still there's there's still some of that that's i don't really know how they did it in the 70s i mean but there's a lot of there's a lot of like technology at the very least that's changed like we have kind of like satellite radar and um temperature gauges and all kinds of stuff. So I would bet that even if the computational and modeling sophistication wasn't in the seventies, nearly what it is today, um, that I don't, I'm sure that the data that they had to base those estimates was not nearly as good as the data that we have today. Um, but it's worth talking a little bit about in general, just why meteorology is hard. And I say this as a total non-expert here. So there's probably a lot that I'm going to leave out. But based on what I've read on the internet, that's, that's not quite true. But like, um, you know, there's a lot that's going on if you're trying to do something like predict the weather, right? So right. a few things. One, it's a really complex system. So weather is going to be a function of wind, of cloud cover, of sunlight intensity of the season, of air currents, of water currents. Um, and it can everything. have... Yeah, everything. And it's uh, also a very, it's a very uh, mutating as opposed to pure system where everything that comes is also a function of what just happened. Yeah, so it, it's kind of like weather is a good example of like physical chaos, if you like, <laughs> in the sense that like even small perturbations in the initial conditions in like a weather system that you're trying to simulate can have huge changes uh, farther downstream. So it's kind of, the silly example is a butterfly flaps its wings and then there's like a, a hurricane. I think that's the, actually the example is like, then there's a hurricane that like yeah. hits, uh, hits Florida as a result of that. And if that butterfly hadn't flapped its wings, then like it didn't kick off the chain reaction. And that's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit silly in the sense that you can never prove, you know, that that is actually happening. But Otherwise we have some butterflies yeah. to take issue with. <laughs> 
Um, so I'll try to alienate our, <laughs> our butterfly friends today. Um, yeah, yeah, but it should be yeah, more we, sensitive. We know from like physical systems, studying like complex physical systems where there's lots of like interacting pieces, um, and from simulations that even just very, very small changes in the initial state can have very large changes in the final state, if, if you like. Um, so that makes it very hard to, to say with a lot of certainty where the final state is going to end up. Um, and then I guess the last thing is that uh, we're getting better all the time at collecting more and more data, but just think about how big something like a hurricane is or global weather conditions uh, compared to our ability to take measurements. So how do you do things like get data on the weather? Well, you might have something like buoys that are out in the ocean. You might have satellites that are looking from overhead. Uh, maybe there's like reconnaissance flights by special aircraft. Um, but all of these data points are kind of expensive to go and get. And uh, we have by no means blanketed the globe in temperature sensors and wind sensors and humidity sensors and all these sorts of things. So there's a lot of data that we have, but it's certainly, it's certainly not infinite. And there can be uh, lots of lots and lots and lots of small things that we're missing that could have a big effect. So hopefully we get uh, enough of it to start to fill out the picture, but it's a constant battle, I think. And also probably a piece of the puzzle is that of the sensors that we do have, especially the ones that are on the ground uh, or in the seas, they're probably significantly concentrated in cities and along coastlines uh, just because, you know, the earth is really, really big. There's there's a lot of land and there's even more water. And so uh, we don't necessarily have equal coverage. Oh, yeah. So interesting point about that. So I was actually once stuck on an airplane next to a meteorologist and I've no. talked with him for a while. Oh, my God. I wish I was on that flight. Yeah, it was. He was really cool. Um, and we were talking about weather and so the way that meteorologists and and climate scientists well i guess like hurricane forecasters is more what i mean uh we'll get to this a little bit more later but the one of the ways that they measure their progress sort of as a field like are we getting better at predicting the weather is a meteorology question and uh the way that they tend to do it is they say how far in advance do we have a certain level of certainty about uh, what's going to happen. So th the way that actually looks is that our three-day forecasts today are like as good as our two-day forecasts were like 20 years ago or something. I might be getting the, the numbers slightly wrong, but you can imagine kind of how much uncertainty you might have about the weather two days in advance rather than three days in advance. And that, you know, as we get better accuracy, we kind of like can know further in advance when things are going to happen. Anyway, so there's this chart that I remember him showing me in one of his weather books, and it has these two lines sort of through time of how much better the weather forecasts had been getting. And the one in the Northern Hemisphere was markedly better than the one in the Southern Hemisphere, which I thought was very interesting. And so I asked him about it. And the answer why is because there's much more landmass in the Northern Hemisphere. And oceans are hard to, they're a lot harder to gather data on because you have to like mm. go out there and like set a buoy down and then have some way of getting the data back from it. Whereas going out like into a field and putting some kind of like small weather station is it's a lot easier, comparatively easier. Like you or anyway, I can do that. 
yeah, yeah. Um, so digression, but let's get back to hurricane models. So there are several different types of hurricane models. Um, the two big classes of them are called dynamical models and statistical models. Uh, dynamical and so dy models. That's what the internet said. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> I want to call them like dynamic, but I know they say yeah. dynamical. Um, we will, I'll, I'm going to attach a bunch of links uh, to lineardigressions.com about this because there are just so many, so much good stuff out there, period. And then a lot of good kind of like weather journalism that's happening uh, in light of the, the last couple big storms that have mm. hit like the southeastern United States. Oh, um, tense, tense change. This. We already have attached them to lineardigressions.com. <laughs> right. Uh, that's right. Through the power of uh, time travel. Um, okay, so dynamical model. So this is based off of like roughly like the laws of physics and then running simulations. So you say things like we understand how heat transfer works between the ocean and the air. We understand how wind currents work by like fluid dynamics effectively. Um, and then you take those physical laws and uh, you make like a simulation of the Earth's kind of weather systems and then you simulate them interacting with each other and you see what happens that kind of feels like a, a top-down approach where you're saying okay these are the rules of the game that i of the game being reality i guess on planet earth that we know about and uh here are the inputs that we have go yeah um that's yeah this, this is probably about right but then and then the other side of it is statistical modeling so mm. this is a lot more historical looking uh so we have um, storms that we've seen in the past and for those storms we have and non-storms quite frankly uh, and for all of those we have measurements of kind of all the all the quantities of interest perhaps we hope um, and so then we can use those to help inform our predictions about what's going to happen with uh, given future models so for example we know that in similar conditions we saw a storm that like strengthened. Uh, and so on the basis of that, we think that like a given storm is going to strengthen this time around. Right. So that's kind of the, the opposite where rather than saying, this is how the world works, we just say, oh, here's some examples from the world. And from these examples it, in like a pure uh, historical uh, statistical model, you would say from these examples, infer what might happen with these inputs. Yeah, like learn learn the patterns basically, um, and then there's hybrid models, and most of the models that I think we have right now are hybrid models that take both of those into account. So we inform them with data from previous conditions where we've seen storms, but then they're also very heavily simulation based. Um, and so there's different kinds of hurricane models, and this is worth calling out. Uh, so there's models for um, different models for tracking where the hurricane, where the path that we think is going to take. So that's one thing. Um, a second type of model will be around the intensity of the storm. So how fast are the winds going to be? How much rain is it going to be dumping? That sort of thing. And then uh, the third thing is uh, storm surge models. So one of the things that can happen with hurricanes is they actually push the ocean kind of into the land sometimes when they make landfall. And so there's effectively 
this storm surge flooding that can happen and that can be really really dangerous for people who live close to the coast very very destructive so you want to have estimates of when that effect is going to take place and so that's going to be obviously a complicated function of the features of the storm and then probably also the the topology of the area where you think it's going to be so all of these the the tracking the storm surge and the intensity are all interacting with each other to try to make an overall hurricane forecast for people who are like in the path of the storm like what what do you need to be ready for and then last is that there's a lot of models that also take uh, these different types of models or they run many many different simulations that are similar and then ensemble them all together so hurricane models are not single models anymore what they are Mm. is large aggregations of models that then get combined in a way that hopefully um, you know the most high confidence predictions uh, manage to rise to the top and that some of the noise that can happen in any individual model gets like canceled out and that hopefully we get a more accurate model overall as a result. So we have these different uh, ways of going about it. How have we gone about it in the uh, in the past? And kind of how has that changed over time? Well, I think, you know, we certainly have like better data sources now and more computing power that we're throwing at it. In fact, we'll talk about some of the different flagship models uh, in a little bit and talk about what, what features they have. But the biggest trend, maybe from a high level, is that these forecasts have actually gotten a lot better in the recent, in you know, recent decades, um, and so they're still not perfect because this is really hard to do. As as I hope you understand, you know, or at least I feel like I appreciate more now. Mm. Um, but like here's some examples. You know, we've been tracking hurricanes for hundreds of years, right? Like let's say a hundred years or so, probably more, really. Ever since it's only in the last like. 15, 20 years since maybe 2000 or so that we now have 10 day forecasts for hurricanes. So if there's a hurricane that's going to hit in 10 days, we can start to make predictions about it. Now the predictions aren't particularly good, right? Because 10 days is like a really, really long time. Mm -hmm. 10 day forecasts are almost unheard of, but you know, it's good enough that you know, if you know something's going to hit, yeah, if you have some hint 10 days in advance, that can be much more helpful than if your first hint comes five days in advance. So continuing to push out those boundaries of how far in advance we can start to know if something might be trouble and they can start watching it more carefully. Um, so 10-day forecast, like the fact that we even have such a thing as a 10-day forecast is is incredible. Um, again, they're not they're not really great. But like... Let me give you another example. So the this is now thinking about like tracking forecasts. So where do they think the storm is going to go versus where it actually goes? And like for Hurricane Irma, this was a really big deal because Florida, they were trying to figure out what part of Florida it was going to hit. And Florida isn't that wide. So, uh, but like the east side of the state and the west side of the state, whether it hits one side or the other has huge implications for the people who live in those places, right? As far as the storm is concerned, like, you know, the east side and the west side, like, that's, it's not that far apart. Um, But for the experience for people on the ground, it's a huge deal. So this tracking Mm. stuff can really matter, right? It's the difference between, like, a direct hit and, like, just a, a really bad storm. Right. And if you're, if you're in Florida, that's the difference between, going to the east coast versus going to the west coast like yeah. from from the from the hurricane's perspective it's a very uh, narrow difference between 
between the two, but for you, it's everything. Yeah, totally. So this, so this stuff matters. And let me tell you like kind of how it's, how it's trended over the past 35 years or so. (laughs) Right. I was looking at some of these graphs and so it's like, what is, what is the uncertainty or like the accuracy with which you are predicting these things? And I was looking at, there's different, um, there's different predictions. They have like the 12 hour prediction and the 24 hour prediction and 36 and 48 and 72, right? So it's like, how far in advance are you making this, this prediction? And so the farther out you get, the bigger errors you tend to have on uh, where you think the storm is going to go, uh, which makes sense. So looking at the 72 hour prediction, so three days out in 1970, typical errors for a three day prediction were 450 nautical miles. Um, so there's like the nautical mile. That's huge. Not a nautical yeah. mile is almost a normal mile. Yeah. So there are, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles um, you know, you're, if it, if you live in Florida and it says it's going to hit Mexico, like you're probably safe. But if you live in Florida and it says it's going to hit Louisiana, like you, you might, you might get like, you know, just slammed by it. Right. Um, so 450 miles is, yeah, that's, that's, it's about 500. It's about 500 miles. Yeah. Yeah. So, but now, or in 2005, I think the, the plot that I found went up to 2005, um, that 450 miles has become 120 so still a big uncertainty, especially in a situation like, you know, the Florida Peninsula, which isn't mm-hmm. very wide, but from 450 to 120 is, uh, you know, a th- factor of what, three or four. Um, so it's much, much more accurate. And and this is for the 72 hour forecast, but there's similar trend lines for all the different forecasts that we're getting a lot more accurate through time. So that at least is like a trend that's in the right direction. So you said you went from, uh, well, if you convert to miles, about 500 miles to about 140 miles um, with a 36-hour prediction. No, 72-hour. Oh, sorry, with the 72-hour, the, the three-day prediction. Um, Florida is about 150 miles wide, and so we've gone from being like, it's absolutely impossible to tell which side of Florida it's going to hit, to like, okay, there's it's still within the margin of error, but... Um, but you might have a, a better chance of guessing. That's right, yeah. And, well, we're not going to have time to cover it tonight, but maybe we can do another episode at some point talking about uh, how they actually aggregate some of these tracking forecasts together because one of the things that I spend a lot of time thinking about and trying to understand is, like, when they also have, like, cones of uncertainty around, like, where they think the hurricane is going to hit. Um, and so, yeah, even if they think you know, it's going to take this path. They, they always, uh, sort of have an uncertainty that's attached to that path, uh, whether they say it or not. Mm. So it's kind of like this path, like plus minus 50 miles or something. Anyway, um, that's another thing that can be, it's statistically like important to get right and can be kind of tricky, but is often can be hard to like convey properly to, to lay people. And the deck is stacked against us, given that we're an audio-only podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, maybe this is this is just like a one to try to get back to at some point. It's talking about yeah. uncertainties. But anyway, before we go today, though, it's been kind of interesting to watch. There's been a little bit of a bake-off uh, between, uh, unfortunately, a lot of different models uh, that have been simulating 
Hurricane Harvey and Hur- Hurricane Irma, especially, trying to figure out which ones are doing the best. Uh, so it's been kind of interesting. So there's there's a bunch of different models, but the ones that you hear about the most often. So number one is the National Hurricane uh, Service, uh, NHS. Mm-hmm. Um, NHS is actually kind of like a really good go-to because what it does is it combines a bunch of other models into something that's usually pretty good. So, so it's like a meta model or something. I, is there a term for that? Is a, a model that combines a bunch of models? Uh, yeah, I would call that like maybe a, well, there's ensemble models, but it's a little bit, it's a little bit like a special kind of ensemble. I like meta model cause it sounds nice. Okay, cool. Um, so that's so the, the NHS. Yes, the NHS combines a bunch of other models and I I think like mixes in some of their own secret sauce. But usually when you hear about like the hurricane is predicted to do X, Y, and Z, very often that's like the National Hurricane Service, at least within the United States. Um, But some of the other models that go into them. So we'll talk about two of them here uh, because they're a little bit interesting. One is I'm going to pick on NOAA the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association. Um, so they have an interesting new model. They have kind of an old model that we'll skip over for now. Oh, oh actually, briefly, it's not NHS, it's NHC, National Hurricane Center. Oh, thank you. I must have been Still a, a sound. Okay. Any, yes, thank you. Good correction. Appreciate that. Uh, second one that I want to talk about is one of the NOAA models. So NOAA is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association, I believe. And so they have, they're one of several different organizations with administration. God, jeez. I'm correcting. All <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, I'm just Googling it. I don't know. No, actually, you're my fashion. National Oceanic great. and Administrative, uh, God, uh, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. There we go. Okay. It's really hard to say. Oh, by the way, also, just to make things more confusing, NHC is at nhc.noaa.gov, and NOAA is at noaa.gov. Yes. It starts to get complicated, and I don't always understand the relationships. Um, But NOAA, one of the things that they do, they host, I think, several different models, but one of them has been kind of interesting to watch because it's a new model. It's experimental. I don't exactly know what makes it so interesting, but they're benchmarking it. it. Has not been doing great. Has been like way off the mark in in some of the more recent uh, predictions that it's been making. So I think that one still needs a little bit of tuning. Um, the one that has been winning is the so-called European model. Uh, so you'll also see this, the ECMWF. That's the... Um, uh... European Centra, because they spell it differently, for medium range weather forecasts. There we go. And medium range is hyphenated, so they don't do MR in the acronym. Yes. Oh, boy. So this is often called just the European model, or you'll sometimes see ECMF or ECMWF. And this one has been doing really well recently. So this was the model that um, kind of somewhat notoriously predicted that Hurricane Harvey was going to do what it did, namely kind of roll in through the Gulf of Mexico and then just park itself over Houston for five days or something. Um, So that was a tracking forecast that was particularly weird, I guess. Like, I don't know how common it is for 
hurricanes to just kind of stall out like that, but it ended up having huge implications for flooding and stuff. Um, but the European model predicted it. Um, so that was like a, a pretty big recent win. And in general, the European model seems to be doing really good. So, which is a little bit funny because hurricanes don't hit Europe, right? They hit the United States. Um, <laughs> so it's a little bit like, doesn't feel great as an American to know that, that we're not winning this right now. But uh, what are some of the advantages <laughs> that the European model has here? Um, so one is that it's a fully global model from what I understand. So it, their simulations actually take into account the entire data points from all over the world, not just from the region around where the hurricane is, um, because there can be presumably like relationships between things that are happening even very far away and behavior that you have at the hurricane point. And so this is really expensive to do to have such a big model. Um, and they can only run it two times a day as a result. So this is one of the things that was kind of interesting uh, at least for me, as I was watching Hurricane Irma, especially people were watching it very closely. Um, and there could be sometimes big jumps or it felt like big jumps in where it looked like it was going to go. And that wasn't because the storm was actually changing tracks very quickly or anything. It's that the models take a really, really long time to run because they're so computationally intense. So for the European model, you only get updates twice a day. Um, I think for some of these other American models, they have like four times a day updates. And so that can be a little bit more, you feel a little bit more up to date um, and there's fewer, maybe big surprises, but the, the European model seems to be doing really well. So that's kind of an interesting trade-off that you have to make right now. Anyway, um, some other things that have made this model better recently, they have finer resolution in sort of the geographic detail with which they're, with which they're simulating. So recently they've gone from kind of a 32 uh, size, 32 kilometer sized grid that they were using as kind of like their, the grid that they were making their simulations based on to an 18 kilometer. So they made it about like almost twice as finely grained, which means that then more computationally intensive, but you can have more kind of precise calculations you'd hope. And as a result, it's boosted the performance of that model by a few percent, which basically has made it recently um, about 12 hours better than it used to be. So, you know, sort of the, the 24 hour predictions that we used to be getting, we're now getting 36 hours out, for example, from the European model. So um, by the standards of the field, doing really, really well. Um, and then the last thing is they're just throwing huge computers at it. Very computationally intense statistical model and putting some huge investments, not just in collecting a lot of data and making a, a very fine grid, but then supporting it with the computational infrastructure so that they can get two models out a day. Um, hmm. And so that altogether seems to be, costs a lot of money, takes a lot of investment, but it seems to be winning. And uh, you know we are all like the beneficiaries of that. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com. 
case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.